Welcome back to our Sabbath School studies. We're studying the book of Psalms, and the book of Psalms reveals a Christ who is our defender, who is our refuge, who is our fortress, who is our solid rock, and who today we will see is our shepherd and our covenant-keeping God and our suffering Savior. We will see today a Christ who died for us, who lives for us, who's coming again for us. Let's pray as we jump into lesson number nine. Father in heaven, we thank you with all of our hearts for Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity of serving him. I pray today that you would be with us as we study. Give us divine insight into your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The Psalms reveal Jesus. Jesus, who is our shepherd. Jesus, who is our defender. Jesus, who is our refuge. Jesus, who is our fortress. Jesus, who is our solid rock. In fact, that reminds me of the memory text for today. Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23. Now you will remember that Peter quotes that psalm and applies it to Jesus. For example, if you take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, we find Peter quoting Psalm 118 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter's talking about this spiritual house and that every one of us are living stones, refined and polished, nurtured by the grace of God, shaped by the Spirit of God. And he says in 1 Peter 2 verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion. We read that, didn't we, in Psalms? A chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He goes on to say, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. So Peter's pointing out that to those who reject Christ, who reject his love, who reject his grace, who reject his mercy, for those who turn the backs on Christ and rebel against him, he becomes this stone of offense. But for those who accept him, he's the chief cornerstone the one upon whom our full weight can be pressed. You know, the chief cornerstone in the temple at Jerusalem was a large stone that could bear the weight of the temple. If that stone was not secure and crushed, the whole temple would fall, but the chief cornerstone could bear the tons and tons and tons of weight that were crushing down upon it. So Jesus bears our burdens. He says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Christ bears us up in our trials, our difficulties, our temptations. So we jump right into the lesson today. Uh, the Psalms testify. We're reading there from the introduction about Christ's person and ministry. Almost all aspects of his work in the plan of salvation are seen in the Psalms. The topics revealed in the Psalms include, now notice, Christ's deity, his sonship, his obedience, his zeal for God's temple, his identity as the good shepherd, and his betrayal and his sufferings. No wonder why Jesus quoted from the Psalms 
when he was showing that he was the Messiah to those that were on Damascus Road. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Jesus quotes from the Psalms, and he quotes from the Psalms for one specific purpose, to show his identity, to show that he was the Messiah. Luke 24 verse 44 says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled that were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Well, today in our study, we're going to see some of the things that were written about Christ in the Psalms that concern his deity and his plan of salvation. We'll understand more fully why Jesus quoted the Psalms to those that were walking with him on Damascus Road. On Sunday's lesson, the title is The Divine Self-Sacrificing Shepherd. When you think of the shepherd in the Old Testament, the shepherd was one who was constantly with his flock. The shepherd was one who would give his life for the flock. The shepherd was one who would protect the flock and feed the flock and care for the flock and guide the flock. What psalm comes to your mind when you think of the good shepherd? What's the good shepherd psalm? You know it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Let's take a look at that psalm and compare the wording of the psalm to the ministry of Christ. First, we look at Psalm 23. The Lord, the shepherd of his people. So it starts, the Lord is my shepherd. Now the word for Lord there is Yahweh, the supreme God, the sovereign God, the eternal God. What a wonderful thing to know that the sovereign, supreme, eternal God is interested in you and me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because of the grace and the goodness of Christ, he satisfies the longings of our heart we need not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, sheep don't lie down. They typically stand up when they eat. But here the shepherd says, the sheep are so calm. They're so free from stress that they lie in relaxation there in the middle of the green pastures that are lush. We, unstressed, in the middle of trials and difficulties, can rest in his love and care. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness. Notice he leads, he leads, he restores. So here's a picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, who is our eternal sovereign Lord, who relieves us from stress we can lie down. He refreshes us as we drink of the water of life. He leads us, he guides us. Notice what it says in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I walk through the valley. I don't stay in the valley. You may be in a valley. Your life may be topsy-turvy right now. You may be facing difficulties and challenges. But the Bible says, though I walk through the valley, God's going to get you through this. Your good shepherd is going to lead you. He's going to take you through the valley. It says, your rod and your staff comfort me. What's the rod? What's the staff? In the Bible, the rod is a sign of divine authority. It's a sign of God's power. You remember it talks about in Psalm 2 where Jesus breaks down his enemies. He crushes them with his staff. So the staff is a sign of God's power. 
What about this? Or rather, the rod is a sign of God's power. What about the staff? The staff, see, the rod was long, slender, strong. The staff had a crook on it. So if the sheep would wander, the shepherd would reach out with that crook and pull and get it around their neck and pull them back. So the rod is a symbol of power. The crook, the, the staff or the crook, uh, a symbol that Christ will pull you back when you drift astray that he's going to keep you on the straight and narrow path. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You prepare a table before me. What a shepherd he is, preparing the good things of life for us. Remember in Psalm 68, it says, forget not all his what? Benefits. You know, I, I had a good lesson in shepherding. I was taping for It Is Written Television, a series of programs in Laodicea. In those days, the University of Pamukkale had not begun excavating Laodicea, so it was a pretty wild place. And uh, we were out there taping, and we taped some where the ruins of the old stadium, and there was some Roman aqueducts, and it began to rain. I sat beneath a Roman aqueduct as it rained to try to keep our cameras uh, protected and keep dry. And pretty soon we heard the footsteps, and a shepherd came. He was stinky, smelly, sat next to us, and my uh, Turkish guide uh, translated for me. And so I said to him, what brings you out here, sir? I'm a shepherd. How long have you worked out here? For many, many years. I've guided my sheep here. And we began to talk about the shepherd. He said he'd never leave his sheep alone. I said, what's the most difficult experience you've ever had out here? He said, well, there were robbers that came. You see this scar on my head? They tried to steal my sheep, but I didn't let them do it. I, I protected my sheep. They threw a rock and hit me in the head. Another time I had to fight off a big snake for my sheep. He, he then said to me, you know what? My sheep are my life. I'm here with my sheep. I said, what's the biggest challenge? He said, loneliness. He said, you're out here at the dark. You're out here by yourself. And he said, you get lonely, but I love my sheep. At the end of the rainstorm, we stepped out from under the aqueduct and I said to him, well, do you, I, I heard that your sheep, you, you could call them, they'd come. He said, watch this. And he called his sheep and they came running from below in a field. And he said, watch. And he began to walk and the sheep just followed him. And he talked to them. And I said, would the sheep do that for me? He said, no, they don't know your voice. And you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of John chapter 10 in Sunday's lesson, verse 11 to 15. John chapter 10, verse 11 to 15. The sheep wouldn't follow me. They didn't know my voice, but they knew the shepherd's voice. John chapter 10, verse 11 through 15. And we read there. Um, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. He who's the hireling and not the shepherd, one that does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. What does he do? He flees. He runs away. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and my sheep are known of me. As the Father knows me, so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. They'll hear my voice and there'll be one fold and one shepherd. So the, the, the sheep hear the voice of the master and follow him. 
the good shepherd, the good shepherd leads and guides his sheep. And they know deep within their hearts what the voice of the good shepherd sounds like. Have you heard God speaking to you? I don't mean audibly, but in your heart, guiding you, directing you. My sheep hear my voice. If we know Christ, we know his voice. And we know that gentle, still, small voice that guides us. So what do we learn from the lessons of the shepherd? We learn that he is our guide. We learn that he leads us. We learn that he protects us. We learn that he provides for us. We learn that he will never leave us or forsake us. So the pictures that we are seeing here in lesson number nine of our Sabbath school are pictures of Jesus. First, the picture that he's the good shepherd. Second, the picture that he's the suffering Messiah. We see this in the Psalms. Under Monday's lesson, we look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22, I think, is one of the most powerful Psalms in the Old Testament that speak about Jesus. There are numerous prophecies in the Old Testament about Christ, but Psalm 22 is one of the most powerful. Let me give you some examples. Here in Psalm 22, it talks about Christ being crucified. Psalm 22, verse 16, dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now notice two prophecies here. First, they pierced my hands and feet. Did you know that crucifixion was not even practiced a thousand years before Christ when David wrote this? Crucifixion was not introduced until the time of the Romans in approximately uh, 168 BC. They introduced crucifixion. They practiced it for almost 500 years. It was done away with by Constantine in the fourth century. So what was the method of capital punishment in the Old Testament? Either hanging by a rope or stoning. So how would David know that Jesus would have his hands pierced? It was by prophetic divine insight. And then look here, they divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. I'll compare that, for example, with the book of John. And you can look there at the book of John and uh, compare what Scripture says here about the casting of, of lots and uh, for, for, for Jesus' garments. And um, when John talks about the uh, crucifixion scene, you'll find, for example, uh, he talks about the death of Christ. And there the soldiers are mocking Jesus. They strike Jesus. And um, Jesus says, you can't have any power against me. And they cry out in John 19, verse 15, away with him, crucify him. But do you remember what Jesus says? That they cast lots for his garments. And um, look at John 19, verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from top one piece. And they said, therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it, 
whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Exactly, exactly what it says in Psalm, Psalm 22. So you see these prophecies being fulfilled minutely in the life and death of Jesus. Back to Psalm 22. Look, in Psalm 22, again, it says, For he has not despised, this is verse 24, nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. So this is speaking about Christ on the cross crying out to the Father. You know, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? But then as Jesus died, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. David says in Psalms that the Father heard him. In other words, when Jesus died, remember he says, it is finished. What is finished? He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What was finished? The plan of salvation. What was finished? The good news that sin could no longer have a grip on us. That, that, that was finished. We no, we no longer need to be dominated by guilt and shame and the results of sin. All of that, that's finished because in Christ there is no condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1. In Christ we find forgiveness and mercy. In Christ we find grace. In Christ we find power. In Christ we find salvation. So the suffering Messiah. I want you to note what Ellen White says. You'll find this in Monday's lesson, Desire of Ages, page 753. Upon Christ as our substitute and surety was laid the iniquity of us all. He was counted a transgressor that he might redeem us from the condemnation of the law. The guilt of every descendant of Adam was pressing upon his heart. The wrath of God against sin, the terrible manifestation of his displeasure because of the iniquity, filled the soul of his son with consternation. Did you notice upon Christ as our substitute and surety was laid the iniquity of us all? He was counted a transgressor. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says that uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Did Jesus ever sin? Never. But he became sin. He took the guilt and shame of our sin as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he'd taste death for every man. Galatians 3, verse 13, cursed is everyone that hangs upon the tree. So Jesus took the curse. The death that Christ died was not simply a physical death, but it was the eternal death. What do we mean by eternal death? When do you die the eternal death? After you die or before you die? Uh, see, before Jesus died, he could not see the, through the portal of the tomb. He bore the guilt and shame and condemnation of all humanity on that cross. And he saw himself going into the tomb and was willing to go in and, if possible, never come out because of his love for you and for me. He said, it is finished. The plan of salvation is consummated. Salvation is provided for the entire human race. But thank God the Father accepts the sacrifice. Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. The stone is rolled away and Jesus comes out alive. Christ suffered, last section of Monday's lesson, Christ suffered the rejection of humanity, but God glorified his son by making him the living chief cornerstone of God's spiritual temple. Jesus is our good shepherd in the Psalms. Jesus is our suffering Messiah in the Psalms. Tuesday's lesson, 
Jesus is forever faithful to his covenant in the Psalms. So what is that covenant? Well, let's look at Psalm 89, verse 27 to 32. Psalm 89, verse 27 to 32. What, what indeed is that covenant that Christ is faithful to? In Psalm 89, verse 27, I begin reading, Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forever. My covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I make to endure forever, as his throne as the days of David. Now let's just pause there. First, it talks about the firstborn. Was David the firstborn? No, he was the eighth son of Jesse. He was the firstborn in the sense of title deed, in the sense of privilege, in the sense of power, in the sense of authority. So in the Old Testament, the firstborn would receive the inheritance. So Jesus is the firstborn in the sense of title deed, in the sense that he would have the inheritance. Some people confuse the texts in the New Testament, in Colossians and Revelation, that talk about Jesus as the firstborn. They think he's the firstborn of all creation in the fact that there was a time he didn't exist and then he came forth into existence. That's not true. Jesus is the firstborn, not in the sense of being born first, but in the biblical sense of having the power and authority of the Father, having the title deed, the inheritance of the Father. Then it talks about the covenant. My covenant shall stand firm, verse 28. His seed I will make into a forever. So God made a covenant with Abraham that Abraham would have a son, and that son would be the posterity of a generation that would ultimately bring forth the Messiah, that would ultimately, and the Messiah would ultimately usher in eternal life, and God's people would ultimately inherit a new heavens and a new earth. So what is the covenant? It's the promise that God gave to Abraham that the Messiah would come through the Abrahamic line. And so that seed, that posterity goes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It goes to the 12 tribes of Israel. It comes down to the Davidic line and then passes down through to the birth of the Messiah. So what do we see in uh, Tuesday's lesson? We see a Christ who comes forth and is always faithful to this covenant. In Wednesday's lesson, we see Jesus as the eternal king of, of unrivaled power. And let's look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2, Jesus the king of unrivaled power. You'll see this in the second psalm. We're going to go through this psalm. Why do the nations rage? The people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsels together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break the bonds and their bonds to pieces and cast away their, their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall hold them in derision. When Then he will speak to them in his wrath. So what are we seeing in those first few verses? We're seeing those who unite against God, who unite against his plan, who unite against his eternal purposes. Then he says, Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judge of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling. So Psalm chapter 2 shows you the, the fact that he is the eternal king of unrivaled power. He has the rod of iron. What is this rod of iron all about? It is the authority of Christ. The fact that he is sovereign. The fact that he is supreme. The fact that he is all-powerful. Now notice, in Wednesday's lesson, second paragraph down, in the end, Christ will have absolute victory over his enemies. In the Psalms say he will make his enemies the footstool. That's an image that reflects the custom of ancient Near Eastern kings to place their feet on the necks of their defeated enemies to demonstrate total dominance over them. So we see here in Wednesday's lesson, he is the eternal king. What have we discovered so far in our Sabbath school this week? Christ is the divine shepherd, the one who leads, guides, and protects his people. He is the suffering Messiah, the one who bore the guilt and shame of all humanity for his people, the one who redeems us by his cross. Tuesday's lesson, he's forever faithful to the covenant. He will be faithful to the covenant he made with Abraham. He sent the Messiah to provide eternal life for us. He is the eternal king of unrivaled power in the Psalms. He crushes his enemies. And then Thursday's lesson, he's the eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4 to 7. Psalm 110, verse 4 to 7. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord's at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the, of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. The Lord is sworn and he will not relent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What's the difference between Jesus' priesthoods and, and the priests of the Old Testament? Well, they came from the tribe of what? Levite. But Jesus came from the tribe of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was an uh, individual who came on the scene and uh, he doesn't have any genealogy written about him, which is very unusual in the uh, Jewish culture of the Old Testament. No genealogy. But that shows Jesus came eternal. He's a priest of Melchizedek, a priest forever. So Jesus, Melchizedek is a type of Jesus. Jesus has forever priesthood. The Levitical priests died. Jesus is eternal, would never die. He would be our high priest forever and ever and ever. But not only is our high, he our high priest, according to Psalms, he is our supreme judge. So Jesus is priest. Jesus is judge. And um, the paragraph on Thursday's lesson is a fascinating one. First paragraph uh, after the uh, answers for Psalm 110, 4-7. God endows the Messiah with an everlasting kingship and a priesthood of a superior rank, the order of Melchizedek. The Lord seals his word with a solemn promise. God's oath not to relent from giving us a perfect priest is a sign of his grace. P. 
people's sins and open rebellions constantly provoke God to abandon his people. But God's oath is unchangeable and guarantees God's grace in revoking his judgment over a repentant people. And what are some of the implications of Christ's superior priesthood? You find that in Hebrews chapter 7. The book of Hebrews talks about the fact that Jesus' sacrifice is superior to the sacrifice of bulls and goats. The heavenly temple is, sacri is superior to the earthly temple. And the priesthood of Christ is superior to earthly priests. Hebrews chapter 7. And we look there at verse 20 to see some unique things about this priesthood of Christ. Verse 20, Hebrews 7. Inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We read that, didn't we, in, in the Psalms? Sure. But notice, the Lord has sworn and will not re repent, relent. You are a priest. So who is anointing him? Who is the you here? The Lord has sworn. That's Jehovah God. It's the Father. And will not relent. You are a priest. Who's the you? That's Jesus. So here you have the Father anointing or commissioning Christ as a priest. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. Why is it a better covenant? Because it's based on the promises of God, not the weak promises of human beings. There were many priests because they were prevented by death for continuing. So he had many priests, but now in Christ we have one priest. He be, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save us to the uttermost, who come to God through him, since he ever leave, lives to make intercession for them. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. He ever lives to make intercession for me. We have such a high priest, verse 26, was fitting us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and become higher than the heavens. So here you have this Christ. He is a priest forever, ever after the order of Melchizedek. Never had a beginning, never will have an ending. The Father anointed him, commissioned him as a priest. And Jesus is harmless, undefiled, unspotted. He is the perfect priest, so we can come. We come with all of our weakness, we can come with all of our fear, we can come with all of our sin, and we can come and lay all that down at the feet of Jesus and find forgiveness, and grace, and mercy. This lesson is incredibly good news. Christ is our shepherd who constantly guides us. Christ is our suffering servant who will never leave us, forsake us, bears the guilt and shame of our sin. Christ is the keeper of the eternal everlasting covenant. Jesus is our high priest, the one who's living for us now and forever. That's something to rejoice about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you with all of our hearts for Jesus. We thank you for his goodness, his grace, his mercy. We thank you that he is our shepherd to guide us, that he is the author of the eternal everlasting covenant. He is the suffering servant. He is the one who opens his arms wide for us to flee to, to find forgiveness mercy, strength, power. He's the one who promises us eternal life. And we 
ask that promise today in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.